Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Ordination Masses are always special, but this year's is extra special. So, Bishop starts off this episode talking about the upcoming priesthood and diaconate ordination Mass, usually two separate events, but this year combined into one after the health crisis prevented the original plans. Then, did you know there's a St. Kevin? Today's his feast day. Plus, today is also the feast of St. Charles Lawanga and Companions. Martyrs from Uganda who wouldn't betray their Catholic faith, despite pressures from their king. Then Bishop and Kyle take a deep dive into the Holy Trinity, which is impossible to completely understand, but still, Bishop says it's important to study it. Do you ever come across people who, when you talk about this, say, well, that's so far beyond, I don't even want to go there? Well, it's true, we can never fully comprehend it Mm -hmm. in this life. The fact is, we should contemplate the Trinity. Hmm. We should study. Keep listening for more. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our Bishop and happy feast day, Bishop. Thank you. How did you know? Oh, well, uh, we did a little bit of research. Today is the feast of St. Kevin. Oh, yes. June 3rd. Is this, do you use him as a, as a patron saint? Definitely. Okay. Yep. So yep. maybe we can talk a little bit about him later on, get to know a little bit about, I don't know much about St. Kevin, so I'm curious to learn more. How is it that you don't know much about St. Kevin? He's one of the greatest. He wasn't in one of my uh my <laughs> He's not even on the kid, universal calendar. Oh, isn't he? <laughs> well, we're back to ordinary time. Do you have a prayer to start us off with today? Well, you know what? I The Solemnity of the Most Holy Trinity this Sunday, uh-huh. so... I was thinking, why not the Te Deum? I don't know if you're familiar with the Te Deum. Te te Deum. Yes. It's a a great song of praise, really a hymn of praise to God that we priests and anyone who prays the Liturgy of the Hours, we always pray this on great feasts and solemnities. Hmm. You know, as I said, it's normally sung, but I'll recite it maybe as our, our prayer today. Sounds good. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You are God, we praise you. You are God, we acclaim you. You are the eternal Father. All creation worships you. To you, all angels, all the powers of heaven, cherubim and seraphim, sing in endless praise. Holy, 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 Lord God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. The glorious company of apostles praise you. The noble fellowship of prophets praise you. The white-robed army of martyrs praise you. Throughout the world, the Holy Church acclaims you, Father of majesty unbounded, your true and only Son, worthy of all worship, and the Holy Spirit, advocate and guide. You, Christ, are the King of glory, the eternal Son of the Father. When you became man to set us free, You did not spurn the virgin's womb. You overcame the sting of death and opened the kingdom of heaven to all believers. You are seated at God's right hand in glory. We believe that you will come and be our judge. Come then, Lord, and help your people, bought with the price of your own blood, and bring us with your saints to glory everlasting. Save your people, Lord, and bless your inheritance. Govern and uphold them now and always. Day by day, we bless you. We praise your name forever. Keep us today, Lord, from all sin. Have mercy on us, Lord, have mercy. 
Lord, show us your love and mercy, for we put our trust in you. In you, Lord, is our hope, and we shall never hope in vain. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I think that prayer and praise of God, it's pretty majestic kind of prayer. Yeah. But also with the approach of the solemnity of the Most Holy Trinity, it seemed especially appropriate. Yeah. And we'll talk a little bit more about the Trinity here. You mentioned that you might not have enough time to, to fit it all in, so we'll try to keep moving here. Also, learn a little bit about St. Kevin and maybe St. Charles and Companions, if, you, if you'd like. But before we do, we have ordination coming up, a big ordination, one yeah. to the priesthood and six to the diaconate. Is that correct? Yes. It's unusual. We're going to ha- I'll celebrate the ordination mass at St. Vincent de Paul Parish in Fort Wayne, Rather than the cathedral, because... Has it always been at the cathedral, I yeah. imagine? I mean, sometimes it's been at the Cathedral of St. Matthew mm-hmm. in South Bend, but most of the time it's Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception, our principal cathedral in Fort Wayne. But because of the social distancing that we need to do, mm-hmm. I decided to have it at St. Vincent's because it's a much larger church, has much more seating than the cathedral. And therefore, because of the social distancing, we have to limit numbers. Sure. I didn't want to limit numbers too much for the men, mm-hmm. seven guys being ordained. So that's why we're having it at St. Vincent's. People have to be spread out. Mm-hmm. It's a private event. It'll be live streamed. It's only by ticket only. Mm-hmm. So it's basically the families and close friends of those being ordained. But everyone can watch it live streamed. It's going to be on going to the Diocesan website. YouTube, Facebook, and of course, it's on Redeemer Radio, right? That's right. We will be broadcasting it live on Redeemer Radio, so people can tune in there as well. Excellent. Only one priest to be ordained this year, mm-hmm. Deacon Stephen Felicia, who uh, was a parishioner, grew up at St. Therese Parish in Fort Wayne, went to Bishop Lors High School. So uh, Deacon Stephen, even though he's the only priest, normally I always have ordinations separate, priesthood and diaconate, but this year it's together because I... Diaconate usually in May, and because of the pandemic, right. we didn't gather in May. So I combined both the priesthood and diaconate ordinations together for June 6th. And then besides Deacon Stephen being ordained a priest, I'll be ordaining six seminarians to the diaconate. I'll just mention their names. Michael Ammer, mm-hmm. Paolo de Gasperi, Ben Landrigan, Keaton Lockwood, Augustine Onuoha, and Logan Parrish. All great men, mm-hmm. you know. I'm just looking forward. It's one of the highlights of the year for me sure. is to ordain new priests and deacons. So I, I expect it'll be very beautiful. It won't be as a normal kind right. because of the social distancing and yeah. the masks and everything else. We won't have the kind of music, no choir, because you know that's another way that the virus can be transmitted is through singing. Mm-hmm. So everything will be a little bit different. But I asked the men some weeks ago if they'd rather wait few months so uh, that they would maybe some of these restrictions would be lifted right and they all said no no right. we want to get ordained <laughs> they're more concerned about that they're so excited about being ordained that that some of the extras aren't primary for sure them. yeah sure well I, I do imagine it's going to be different it will be something that we remember you know for the rest of our lives probably watching it online because the last thing we want is for all of our priests, because I imagine still a lot of the priests will be there. Yes, I think we're limiting the number to like 40. Okay. But they're going to have to be social distance between each other. Sure. So we want to be very careful, and they need to be wearing masks and all too. Right. 
Okay, so people can tune into that. Again, you can search for Diocese FWSB on YouTube, Facebook for the live video stream, and you can listen to it on the radio as well. And one thing I imagine soon to be Father Felicia will be assigned to a parish, which I'm guessing will be announced after the ordination. Right, right. It only becomes public that day. And will that cause a chain reaction in priest moves again? No, and, and a lot of people kind of have already looked at the priest transfers and they're trying to figure out, right. okay, <laughs> this is where he's going to go, but I'm still not going to say. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, coming up, we'll learn about St. Kevin, also St. Charles and Companions, Ugandan martyrs, and talk about the Trinity right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop, and today is his feast day. Happy feast day, Bishop. St. Kevin, Irish saint. What else do we know about St. Kevin? Well, thank you for remembering my my feast day. First of all, his name in Gaelic and Irish is Kimjin, huh. which is spelled C-O-E-M-G-E-N, and it means... Basically, fair begotten, handsome, noble birth. Well, so I describes like you that. pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> Nailed it. The uh, it, and of course it's been anglicized to Kevin, but it's uh-huh. Kimjin. Okay. And in Latin, it's Kimjanus. So when I was hmm. appointed bishop, the parchment where Pope John Paul named me a bishop, it's it's addressed to Kimjanus. Huh. And then when Pope Benedict transferred me here. It's also Kim Janus. Okay. So every now and then I'll I'll sign my name Kim Janus. Really? Yeah, I'll is do it, that. Is that hanging up somewhere in your office? It is. is yeah, okay. it is. So anyone can see that. Yeah. yeah. Kim Janus Carolus Rhodes. Huh. Carolus Carl. Yeah. Yeah. But anyhow, he he was born in late fifth century, around four four ninety eight A.D., and died in six eighteen on June third. Okay. Now. That means he was like 120 years old. So that's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. Kem Janus, or Kevin, first of all, in Ireland at this time, you know, it was in the 400s that St. Patrick lived. So it was this following century that St. Kevin. These centuries between 500 and 8 or 900 AD were incredible in Ireland with the faith. So many Irish saints and scholars. It was kind of like a golden age. Hmm. So early in this golden age, you have this Kevin who we don't know a whole lot about. We There's a lot of legends about him. We know the basics of his life. We know he was ordained. We know that he moved to a place near Dublin called Glendalough. Glendalough is in County Wicklow in Ireland. It's not real far from Dublin. It's south of Dublin. And at Glendalough, which Glendalough means the glen of the two lakes or the valley of the two lakes. There's two lakes there. And if you visit there today, there's monastic ruins. It was pretty desolate, remote place when Kevin went there, but he went there to live as a hermit. He lived in a cave and you can Hmm. still see that cave today. They call it St. Kevin's bed. And it's really a bronze age tomb. They say he was led there by an angel. In any event, he was a hermit living in this cave, which overlooked uh, one of the two lakes. It's very difficult to get there, to walk up. There's no road or anything. You'd have to kind of rock climb to get up to it. 
So again, that's St. Kevin's Bed. The story is, though, that after living some years as a hermit, by the way, he was very close to nature. He was kind of like the St. Francis of Ireland. He's known for his love of animals and birds and all that. They were his companions as he lived like a hermit. He'd wear animal skins. He slept on stones. He fasted a lot. I mean, went barefoot, all of that. But then in time, he was uh, a farmer in the in the valley. It convinced him to move down onto near the lake, and they have a, a place called Kevin's Cell near the lake where he then lived. And he was becoming famous by this time as this holy man, this holy hermit. So there were followers who came, disciples, and people who came from all over to seek his advice, his help, his prayers, all that. And basically, a monastic settlement began there. So he had these followers, other men, who also wanted to live like he did. Mm -hmm. Basically, really more like monks, where they were... They'd live in their own cells, but they would come together at times. Okay. So it, it was a monastic settlement at Glendalough. But actually, this was happening all over Ireland. These monasteries were, were springing up with all these great saints, like St. Columba. And I mean, there's just a lot, St. Kieran, all these different Irish saints. And of course, one of them being St. Kevin. There are a ton of legends about him, and I know some of them. One uh-huh. of the most famous, and, and you read them, if you read Irish literature or Irish poetry, some Irish music, you'll see references to Kevin in some of these stories. Huh. One of them is the story of St. Kevin and the Blackbird. And sometimes you see in images of St. Kevin, he's holding a blackbird on his hand, okay. uh, on his palm of his hand stretched out. And the story is that a blackbird built a nest in his hand and laid eggs and the eggs hatched and the chicks came out, etc. But I mean, that was like, I guess he kept his hand out for like 40 days or something while the nest was there till, until the chicks were, were uh, hatched. So that's one of the legends. Well, it's that kind of calm nature that helps you live to 120, I guess. I guess, I guess. <laughs> There's one that, legend that's not a... It's kind of you see it in some stories. It's not it's not true, but he was known for his purity, his chastity, and remember his name, handsome. Mm-hmm. So evidently, there was a woman named Kathleen who tried to seduce him, and according to the story, they called her Kathleen of the unholy blue eyes because oh. she lusted after him. And in one story, he he actually. She was trying to seduce him, and he drowned her in the lake. Oh wow! Which isn't a very saintly no, thing to that do. So that another was that he threw him, threw her off the cliff. But <laughs> none of these are, are true because. Okay. But you know how the Irish come up with these kinds of stories. Yeah. Uh, and there's there's others too, other stories about him. The otter. I have a medal of Saint Kevin. It has an otter on it. Again, his special love for for birds and and animals. But this was a friendly otter. When he was um, with his disciples, the other monks, they would, you know, and they're right near the lake, they said that this friendly otter would bring salmon to feed Kevin Uh and his monks. There was one of the farmer's son one day had the idea of, of using the otter, the otter's pelt to make a pair of gloves. In other words, kill him and use his skin. Uh-huh. And the otter seems to have sensed danger 
the uh, and disappeared and and then the Kevin and the monks had to find somewhere else to get food but I mean there's all these wonderful little funny stories sure. but when you go to Glendalough you see these there's ruins of these rough churches that that they're like seven churches in that area that they built there's still a round tower this medieval tower that stands wow and it, this became a great place of pilgrimage they would come there from all over Ireland and even from other places in Europe, they would come to Glendalough. They would come to be educated there. Mm-hmm. See, one of the things is boys were often educated in these monasteries all over Ireland. You know, St. Patrick set up monasteries, but he also set up dioceses. But the church in Ireland was more centered on the monasteries than on, I mean, the bishop, there were still bishops, but the bishops basically would come around and cel- celebrate the sacraments. But really, the organization of the church was more according to the monasteries. St. Kevin wasn't canonized until 1903 by Pope St. Pius X, I think, was the pope in 1903. As I said, he's on the liturgical calendar for Ireland, but not for the universal church. Okay. Instead, the universal church calendar today, June 3rd, remembers St. Charles Lawanga mm-hmm. and his companions. So maybe we want to talk a little bit about them. Sure. Yeah, they get a little more credit maybe than uh, St. Kevin. Yes. Oh, I want to mention there were a number of these these saints at this time in Ireland, abbots of monasteries and that, quite a few. And there's one saint that I think is kind of an interesting connection with St. Kevin and with my life, and that's St. Canicus. St. Canicus was an Irish abbot, founder of a monastery also, and it's believed that... um, that St. Kevin visited St. Canicus and visited other saints too, other abbots who were saints. But the reason I mentioned St. Canicus, by the way, he also, St. Canicus also did some missionary work in Scotland. And there he's referred to as St. Kenneth. So hmm. Canicus and Kenneth are the same person. Sometimes they'll say St. Canice. It's okay. all the same person. Huh. But the reason I mention this is I was baptized in St. Canicus Parish. Really? In this little town of the coal regions of Pennsylvania uh-huh. called Mahanoy City, St. Canicus Parish. And I think that's so interesting that St. Kevin would have known St. Canicus. Yeah. So anyhow, just a little tidbit. Your parents probably didn't know any of that. They just I doubt it. Although St. Canicus was the Irish parish, and I'm part Irish, uh-huh. being named, given an Irish name, I think it's all, we're maybe, all connected. Yeah. We're thinking ahead. Uh, well, I want to talk a lot about the the Trinity, but can you give us a, a brief description on St. Charles and companions? Yeah, St. Charles Lawanga. Mm-hmm. By the way, we've had some Ugandan priests who have served in our diocese. Sure. You know, I, I learned from them how much devotion the people of Uganda have for the martyrs of Uganda. And when you speak of the, the martyrs of Uganda— there was a time in the in the 1880s when the king of a Buganda, Buganda was the kingdom that's now part of Uganda. Okay, at that time there wasn't the country of Uganda; mm-hmm. they were still these kingdoms. So it was the kingdom of Buganda, and that's when there were several converts to Christianity. And when what we we remember today, June June third. 22 Catholic martyrs from that time period huh. in this kingdom of Buganda. 
But at the same time period, there were 23 Anglican martyrs. Okay. Very interesting that the king had both these Anglican converts to Christianity and the Catholic converts to Christianity killed. So when you go to, if you go to Uganda, you'll see churches that are dedicated to the Ugandan martyrs, both Catholic and Anglican churches. And when Pope Paul VI canonized, and this was during the Second Vatican Council, when he canonized St. Charles Luanga and his companions, he also mentioned the Anglican martyrs. Sure. So it's very interesting. Why were they martyred? Well, just to give you a little bit of background, why they were executed. There was a persecution that started in the year 1885, and the king of Buganda's name was Mwanga II, King Mwanda II. And there's a lot of debate about why he had these Christians killed. There were some political reasons, political factors that came into play because it was a time when there was, especially with England, where they were, you know, colonial period and some resentment, etc., of foreigners. But there were other Christians that King Mwanda didn't martyr, other Catholics, for example, that he didn't kill, have killed. The ones he had killed were basically boys and young men who were serving in his court. Hmm. They were like royal pages. And Charles Lawanga was kind of in charge of the these pages, these young men and teenage boys who served the king. And again, these were all recent converts, Charles Lawanga and the others. But the king became very angry because these boys and young men, after they became Christians, refused to engage in sexual acts with him. Hmm. And, and this wasn't unheard of in, in the culture at that time there. He kind of was a pedophile. He had this, not necessarily a pedophile, a febophile. He had this sexual attraction and he'd have these pages that worked in his court do sexual favors for him. Hmm. Well, once they converted to Christ, they refused to do so. Mm-hmm. And that really angered him. So that seems to be the principle or the immediate reason why he had them killed, why he had them executed. And they were, the Catholic martyrs were, were burned at the stake. They were, most of them were between 15 and 30 years old. Again, they they were converts to Catholicism. They wouldn't give up their faith, and they were burned alive at a place called Namugongo in 1886. And there's a, a basilica there today in honor of the Ugandan martyrs. Charles Lawanga was was one of them. Obviously, as I said, there are 22, and he was the one who was, the, you know, in charge of the of the the pages in the royal court. So I mentioned it was during Vatican II that Pope Paul VI canonized them. And he was the first Pope, by the way, to visit sub-Saharan Africa. And he did that in 1969. And he went to the site of the martyrdom at Nabugongo. And that's, again, as I said, there's a basilica of the Uganda martyrs built on that site of the, of the executions. All right. Well, if you have questions for Bishop, you can go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop or text the Holy Cross College text line 260-436-7884. 
95, 98. And Bishop will be talking about the Trinity coming up on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman, and this Sunday, June 7th, is the Solemnity of the Most Holy Trinity. Back in episode from March 11th, you said that this is one of your favorite topics to talk about, the Trinitarian love of God. So I'm excited to learn more, and hopefully this will get me prepped for this Sunday's readings and to celebrate. The Holy Trinity is the, the mystery of God in himself the inner life of God. So it is the central mystery of the Christian faith Hmm. and the Christian life. You know, the triune God, it's the pinnacle of God's revelation to us. And it is a mystery. It's just who God truly is. And God revealed himself to us through his son, through Jesus. He revealed himself as three distinct persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, we're monotheists. We're not polytheists. Mm -hmm. We believe in one God. That's what monotheism is. Like Judaism is a monotheistic religion. Mm -hmm. Islam is a monotheistic religion. Christianity is a monotheistic religion. But unlike Jews and Muslims, we believe that our one God exists in three divine persons. Hmm. We don't believe in three gods. We don't believe in three different historical manifestations of God. We believe in one God, that they are three persons in one God, and that each person is fully God. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. At the same time, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Father is not the Holy Spirit. Now, we know this truth about God's existence by faith, by revelation. We can never have figured this out on our own by human reason. It's because God revealed himself to us in Christ. So this is the most important truth of our faith. Some say, well, what does it have to do with our life? You know, this is, you know, about the inner life, the hidden life of God. Well, the fact is, he has shared with us his own divine life by sanctifying grace. Mm -hmm. Therefore, as long as we're in the state of sanctifying grace, the Blessed Trinity dwells within us. Mm -hmm. That we can enter into this unity, this perfect unity of the Blessed Trinity. And even now we're called to be a dwelling place for the most holy trinity. I don't know if you remember that that, uh, line from Jesus in in John's gospel. He says, if a man loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home, our dwelling place with him. Mm -hmm. Now I'd like to talk a little bit about the language of the trinity because this is where, in the course of those first centuries of the church, we developed a, a language to explain the Trinity using some language, some terminology from Greek philosophy. Um, and I think it might be good to kind of review this. I imagine 
some of our listeners or many of our listeners are kind of uh, familiar with these terms, but maybe needs a little bit of refreshment. I remember some years ago when we started, when the uh, translation of the Nicene Creed changed, we now speak of the Son as consubstantial with the Father, very important word. Right. That's actually always been the word, but it was translated not quite as exactly before as one in being. Now we say much more literally, according to the Latin, consubstantial with mm-hmm. the Father. So anyhow, let's, let's talk a little bit about these terms. To designate the unity of the Trinity, we use this word substance. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in Greek, the word is usia. In Latin, it's substantia. Usia in Greek, it means being or essence. Okay. Okay, the nature. So this is the oneness of the Trinity. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit share in the same nature, the same substance, the same essence. Mm -hmm. But then when you look at the the three persons, the distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Greek word is hypostasis. So there's one nature, one substance, but there are three hypostases or three persons. Now, this isn't the way we, re- what we mean by human persons. This is a Greek philosophical term that designates this relationship, that there's a distinction within the Godhead, and that distinction has to do with the relationship of each to the other. Okay. So, what is the distinction? Well, the Father is the one who begets. The Son is the one who is begotten, Mm. and the Holy Spirit is the one who proceeds from the Father through the Son. Okay. So the Trinity is of one substance, it's of one nature, one usia, so that we can say each person of the Trinity is fully God. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. We're not dividing God. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a unity. So when we say Jesus is, or the Son is consubstantial with the Father, it means that in their essence, they're one. Mm-hmm. And the Holy Spirit is consubstantial. So this unity, this oneness of God, each person is God, whole and entire, each person. Each person shares in the divine substance, but they are distinct from each other in relationship. Let me just give you a quote from the catechism that maybe will help. By the way, when we say same in essence, there's a a Greek word, homoousias, homoousias, of one nature. Okay, same in essence. Here's a quote from the catechism that talk about how the three persons are united as one God and share the work of salvation in common. It says, inseparable in what they are, the divine persons are also inseparable in what they do. But within this single divine operation, each shows forth what is proper to him in the Trinity, especially in the divine missions of the Son's incarnation and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So they're inseparable in what they do. We can't say that only the Father is the creator. Really, the Trinity is the creator. Mm-hmm. You know, God created through the word. The Holy Spirit was involved at creation. Mm-hmm. 
so we can't lose sight of that unity that that the three persons are inseparable in what they do. Anyhow, do you have any questions about substance or Well, whenever you talk about person? that, it, it makes me think of our conversations about the Eucharist. When we talk about transubstantiation, I always feel like that's another place where we get in this conversation about what substance means. And it seems like there's a little bit of overlap here whenever we're talking about the transubstantiation where it changes substance and the substance that you're talking about with God. Right. Well, they're both, again, it's a philosophical term. Right. I think you would, it's, it's really, I, I think, a similar notion of substance for okay. both the Eucharist and, and the Godhead mm-hmm. because we're talking about the essence of the thing. Right. So the essence changes. It's no longer bread and wine. It's, it's the body and blood of Christ. Okay. There's a transubstantiation. There's a change in essence. So, of course, the essence of God himself, the substance is the divine being that doesn't change mm-hmm. okay when the son became man he didn't stop being god right okay he assumed our human nature he's still the divine person mm-hmm. of the son the begotten yes so another way to look at this is if you if you want to say ask a question what kind of being god is uh-huh. the answer to that would be really about a question about the divine substance. If you say, well, who is God? You answer that question. You probably could answer God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So there's what is God? Who is God? Mm -hmm. We could go on and on about the... uh, Now, this was all worked out in those early centuries of the church because of heresies. Okay. So... But before I won't get to that until later, maybe next program. But okay. but I do want to talk about okay. I've been talking kind of these philosophical terms, but where do we get all this? Well, we have to go back to scripture. Uh-huh. So maybe this is a good time for a break. Yeah, let's take a break, and we'll come back to talk more about the Trinity. And if you have any questions for Bishop, go to RedeemerRadio.com/slash/ask-bishop, or text the Holy Cross College text line two six zero four three six ninety five ninety eight. And coming up, we'll have more about the Trinity as we prepare for the upcoming solemnity here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop who's been prepping us for the upcoming solemnity of the Most Holy Trinity coming up this Sunday. And you were talking about kind of the language that we use, the different terms. I, I think I'm following you as maybe as much as I, I'm capable at this point. <laughs> I, I think that was a good description of substance and, and the different persons of the Trinity, but one God. Uh, you mentioned a little bit about this coming from Scripture. Right. I mean, we don't find the, the word Trinity in the Bible. Right. But the truth of the Trinity is there in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, especially Christ. Christ mm-hmm. is the one who revealed to us that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I mean, he is the Son, the Son incarnate. He's the Logos, the eternal Word. Was there any indication of this in the Old Testament, that yeah, God I mean, was more than one person? There are. I, I'll mention a couple passages where you kind of get glimpses of the Trinity okay. that might be a little helpful. By the way, do you ever come across people who, when you talk about this, say, well, that's so far beyond, I don't even want to go there. Well, no, these mysteries, okay, it's true. We can never fully comprehend it mm-hmm. in this life. The fact is, we should contemplate the Trinity. Hmm. We should study 
the more we know about God. And, and of course, we begin with Holy Scripture. And it was the Trinity was prefigured in various passages in the Old Testament. Again, not fully revealed until Christ. But if you look back, like even in the book of Genesis, the first chapter, did you ever notice when God on the sixth day, God said, let us make man in our image mm-hmm. and after our likeness. I think that's the only place in the scriptures where God speaks of himself in the plural. Right. That's chapter 1, verse 26. But there definitely are some early theologians and, and saints of the church who saw that by speaking in the plural, this was kind of a foreshadowing of Christ's revelation of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. St. Irenaeus, one of the great second century fathers of the church, said that God couldn't have been speaking to angels when he said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, because the angels didn't take part in creating us. Right. You know, therefore, he said, the plural must refer to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hmm. And then if you go to the next verse, verse 27 of Genesis chapter 1, he says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Well, okay, God is a trinity. The Father loves the Son. The Son returns that love. And the fruit of that love is the life-giving Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. who proceeds from the Father and the Son. So we can say that the, the human family is, in a sense, a, an image of this divine family. Mm-hmm. A husband loves his wife, his wife returns that love, and the fruit of their life-giving love is a child mm-hmm. who proceeds from the husband and the wife. So in a way, the, the family images is made in the image and likeness of God more so than each individual right. Well, both, I would say. I wouldn't say more or less. Okay. I mean, uh, we're also complete? image of God because of having reason and having sure, free will. Sure. But it was St. John Paul II who brought out this. I mean, he, he and his theology of the body, etc. Right. He brought up and, and really taught a lot about how the family is an image of the Trinity, mm-hmm. the divine community of persons, united in love. But I think that's a beautiful thing yeah. to think about. There's another passage in the Old Testament. Have you ever seen the um, the famous icon of the Trinity by Andrei Rublev? Uh, I'm not sure. If this was a TV program, yeah. I would show the icon, but it's too hard to explain an icon on the radio. But uh, it's really amazing in its significance. But this is, you see, in almost every Eastern Catholic church you go to or or Orthodox Church, you'll see this icon with these three angels. And it's an icon of when these three men, these uh, there was a mysterious visit of three men to Abraham. Do you remember that passage? It's in Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 and 2. We read, And the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men stood in front of him. Notice, it said, the Lord appeared to Abraham. How did he appear? Three men. Uh 
okay, stood in front of him. So some say, okay, these three men are representative of God as Trinity. Mm-hmm. And as I said, in these icons, Eastern icons, traditionally this has been represented of these three men, angelic men, representing God. So that's another clue, I guess. But the Blessed Trinity was revealed by Christ. Mm-hmm. So we have these these passages, and there are other passages in the Old Testament too. There's wisdom is spoken of as personified, etc. But mm-hmm. let's go right to Christ, where we have the truth of the Trinitarian nature of God revealed explicitly, explicitly. And as I said, we don't have the word Trinity in the New Testament, but there are many passages that make reference to God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let me give you some examples. When uh, one really very strong example is in John chapter 10, and I think a few weeks ago we heard the Good Shepherd gospel, etc. Mm-hmm. But later on in that gospel, uh, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Mm-hmm. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Mm-hmm. Remember that? I and the Father are one. Okay, remember? One substance. Uh-huh. One essence. Remember this story of, uh, of the Annunciation when the angel Gabriel said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you mm. and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Mm. So, God the Holy Spirit's mentioned there. And God the Father the power of God the Father, the Most High, will incarnate Jesus Christ, God the Son, in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Mm-hmm. So you have the Trinity there, right there at the Annunciation. Right. At the baptism of Jesus, of course, very famous. When Jesus came up from the water, it says that the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, mm-hmm. and a voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Mm -hmm. So here we have at the baptism of Jesus, the father's voice, the Holy Spirit appearing in the form of a dove and and Jesus, the son right there, visible in the flesh. Just a couple weeks, no, was it last Sunday? No, two Sundays ago, we heard the, the great commissioning of the disciples before Jesus ascended into heaven. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's his mandate. He he doesn't say baptizing them in the names of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, but baptize in the name of the Father because they're one. Right. One God, yet three persons. St. Paul, and we're going to hear this in in, uh, this Sunday's reading, the second reading, I think, where a greeting uh, in the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians, and we hear this greeting because it's said at Mass, Paul writes, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, Mm -hmm. God referring to the Father. So... I want to talk, how much time do we have left, Kyle? Really out of time, so maybe we can 
make a next week a part two of this discussion? Sure. You know what? And I want to talk about how we have how the things like the Nicene Creed and some of this language that we have developed, but uh, some of the heresies that were the occasion for defining these things. But let's, we'll start by talking more about what we read in scripture and then we'll get to that. Have you ever heard that the theory that the burning bush was Jesus Mm -mm. communicating to Moses? No, maybe you could talk about that at the next show. Maybe I'll do some research. I got, got some <laughs> Please, that's, that's your assignment. Okay thank, you. okay. thank you so much, Bishop, for another great episode and uh, helping us to prepare for this upcoming solemnity. Could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Happy feast day. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives by providing products and services to save them money. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it away to our members' favorite charities. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.